From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. Good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. A welcome to you, wherever you may be around the world, even those places we can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great to have you with us tonight. And Elaine, uh, a, a great treat tonight to have uh, Charlie Crane you with us, uh, a pastor and, and uh, one of the, the gifts to the Modesto area. We'll be talking to Charlie in, in just a little bit. And uh, again, a, a rare treat, and, and his wife joining here uh, with us as well. And um, you know, we we lovingly called Charlie. It's not Bishop anymore. You're like Cardinal now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you got a promotion, didn't you, at some point? <laughs> More like a demotion. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, we'll be introducing uh, Charlie to you in just uh, just a couple of minutes. Right now, let's check with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with news of another group of real-life Jesus freaks. Why would ten young Russian Christians gather in a cemetery around the tomb of a martyr? Well, in the Soviet Union 50 years ago, bishops of the state were allowed only to ordain ministers approved by the Communist Party. So these men gathered praying secretly to be ordained by the Holy Spirit. One explained, It is like the church in the first centuries. What seminaries did those attend who turned the world upside down for Christ? We are ordained by the pierced hands of Jesus. It's a good reminder that you and I don't need to wait for official government approval to serve God. Get a global perspective from the Voice of the Martyrs. Go online to persecution.com. All right, and we are back with you live here at at uh, Lighthouse Live, and so glad to have you tuned in, no matter where that might be. Let's take a quick look at your volunteer center of the United Way's Lend a Hand list, an opportunity for you to get out and uh, and check out some uh, opportunities to volunteer. With Thanksgiving coming up very quickly, I can't believe where time has uh, I have no idea, but, uh, you know, I love the fall time of the season, don't you? It's just a wonderful uh, time of the year and uh, looking forward to giving thanks uh, in all things. And uh, lots of opportunities for volunteers to get out and help those who are less fortunate. A Day of Hope. Now, this is a charity food uh, collection and distribution. Begins on Saturday, November 7th with a charity bag drop event uh, and pickup event on Sunday, November 8th. An additional drop-off and pickup event will be held on November 14th and 15th 
Volunteers are needed on Saturdays from 9 to 5 uh, to distribute empty paper bags to homes throughout the Turlock area. This is for residents to fill with non-perishable food donations. I want to emphasize non-perishable. Volunteers are then needed the next day between 1 and 5 to pick up and deliver the f and fill food bags to Enclave Community Church in Turlock. A lot of activity surrounding this event. The Pack Out event will be held then on Saturday, November 21st, where volunteers, that's all of you, will fill boxes with a Thanksgiving Day meal and additional food items. Volunteers will distribute these boxes to the needy on Sunday on the 22nd. Now, flexible shifts are available on all days. A Day of Hope is a program of the Associated Students Incorporated of CSU, Stanislaw, that distributes baskets of food and turkeys to Stanislaw County families in need of Thanksgiving. This is a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing, and so we just encourage you to get involved in a Day of Hope and the Modesto Gospel Mission. God bless them. Great Thanksgiving Banquet and Bundle Up is going to be held on Wednesday the 25th starting at 3 in the afternoon for the needy and the homeless in our community. In addition to this year's special Thanksgiving meal with all the fixins, uh, the mission will also be distributing coats for those in need. You know they do this every year. What a great awesome. thing. Awesome uh, volunteers are needed to help out uh, on this special day with decorations, set up, clean up, all that stuff, serving dinner, and then sorting and distributing the coats. Uh, volunteer shifts of three hours are available starting at 10 in the morning. And then prior to the volunteering for the first time, they ask all interested uh, volunteers to attend the volunteer orientation hour on Thursday the 12th at 5.30 p.m. Now, it's not necessary to do this if you've already volunteered at the mission. Uh, donations of food for the banquet and coats of all sizes for men, women, and children are appreciated and very much needed. You know, in 1948, the Modesto Gospel Mission has provided nutrition, uh, nutritious meals since 1948, I should say, with warm beds and a place of safety for thousands of poor and homeless men, women, and children. We just uh, love the work that they do there, and so that would be another wonderful way for you to get out there and uh, volunteer and do something uh, very worthwhile. And you know what? We might add that, you know, it's wonderful to do that at this time of the year, but you know there are 365 days in the year that this kind of thing is needed. So You mean people don't just get hungry one day out of the year? You know, it's just that's kind of funny amazing, how our huh? bodies do that, but that's uh, so mm, true. That's right. The uh, Stanislaw County Area Agency on Aging, one of our networking partners, encouraging us to be a link to the community for homebound senior citizens or disabled individuals with a friendly visitor program. Now, volunteers are needed to visit with seniors or disabled persons in their homes once or twice a month, and I would add that more than that if you Amen. can. Volunteers provide companionship, telephone reassurance, uh, transportation to medical appointments. Yes, very much needed. Uh, appointments for shopping, light housekeeping, yard cleanup, running errands for people. Just There's no end to the needs out there. And if you, you don't believe me, just give me a call. I can, I can hook you up with all kinds of things. Training is provided. Uh, volunteers uh, must be at least 16 years or older, enjoying interacting with older individuals and pass a background check if you do this through them. Uh, the Area Agency on Aging provides leadership and services which protect and enhance the quality of life that relate to older persons and persons with functional impairments. Such a needed, needed uh, 
thing here. So uh, I would just encourage you to get involved. If you have any questions on any of these opportunities, uh, we invite you to call Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, Barbara is reachable at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Or you can email her at bborba at uwaystand.org. You can always feel free to give us a call anytime at 209 544 You know, uh, on the ABC home front, the Salvation Army Berberian Homeless Shelter and Transitional Housing Center is open uh, and for sign-ups. Uh, you can call to claim your dates uh, for dinner at 209-525-8954. Sylvia is standing by to... Uh, to uh, let you claim your dates for dinner. And, and that's another very worthwhile thing uh, for you to do. Uh, not only do you prepare the dinner, but you buy it and take it in and serve it up. You know, and there are other uh, volunteer opportunities as well, actually. I visited with them just the other day. By the way, if you haven't been down there or you haven't been there for a long time, you need to go down there. What they've done at that homeless shelter is just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, Major Darvin Carpenter, who is in charge of the overall citadel there for Modesto, has a commitment that the people who come in who are homeless are going to be treated with dignity. And he wants them to make sure that they have self-esteem when they wake up in the morning and they step out of their bed. They're not stepping out a a cold, hard floor. Uh, They make sure that there's carpeting there, that the rooms are kind of set up, you know, like a like a, a, a motel, you know, where it's nice carpeting, there's a little lampstand, you know, so you can stay there with dignity. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> a variety of different ways to serve. Just give them a call down there, and they would love uh, to have you come down. One of the things that they need or they need people who are willing for maybe two or three days a month to come down and help with processing the intake. You know, when people come into the shelter, they have to be interviewed. Their their belongings have to be tagged and put into a little compound thing. And they just need people to welcome, stand outside and welcome yeah. the, the homeless folks to the shelter. So a lot of different opportunities, and we encourage you to uh, take advantage of that. And, and please, d- not just one day a year. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, also are needed uh, here at the AVC home front, as we say, some major appliances for families who uh, who need them, refrigerators, washers, dryers, and they must be working, okay? We need these to be in workable and, and, and preferably clean condition, okay? We don't have staff or resources to fix these items, so if you want to donate your uh, used washers, dryers, or refrigerators, you no longer want them, make sure that they're workable and that they're clean, kind of in the condition that you would like to receive them in, and uh, we'll make those arrangements to pick them up and get them to the homes uh, where they are going. And also uh, needed at this time are beds and blankets. We're getting into the cold season very shortly, and so they, those are needed as well. Give us a call at 209-544-9571, and we'll make sure that those items get to where they need to be going. You know, we're going to have uh, Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute up in just a second. Before we do that, though, <coughs> there is a um, Internet hoax that is arisen again. And this thing comes up every uh, every couple of years. And, in fact, uh, my father-in-law just got sent one today. And what it, what it does is it says that a petition has been filed with the FCC, and it's usually petition number 2394, <clears throat> I think it is. And it says that they're prepared to take Dr. David Jeremiah and Dr. James Dobson and, and all, you know, all the wonderful Christian broadcasters off the air. 
This is an Internet hoax. Please do not forward this email because the FCC literally has millions and millions of complaints that come in, and <clears throat> and it's a hoax. And so if you can help us, when you see that, if it says uh, uh, FCC petition 2394 and it says that they're going to take Christian broadcasting off the air, please do not forward that. It is a hoax. The petition number 2394 actually was denied by the FCC in 1975. That was a few years ago, (laughs) huh, Charlie? Of course, Charlie's too young to remember 1975. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it actually, there was a petition. And the petition actually had to do with uh, restricting who could use educational channels on TV and uh, FM radio. And what was happening was uh, a lot of... uh, Christian stations and, and such were petitioning to take over educational channels, and the petition was to to freeze that activity so that those people who had educational channels could keep them. And the FCC wound up denying it because they said that they can't restrict religious broadcasting. But this thing comes up every couple of years. Uh, last time it was uh, Dr. James Dobson was calling for this, and Dobson said on his website, I never said anything about that. Wow. All right, and then they said that Madeline Murray O'Hare and the atheists were, were petitioning, and actually at the time they said that, Madeline Murray O'Hare was dead. And, uh, Good grief. And, uh, of course, we're not to judge. Well, we won't go there on that one. But anyway, <laughs> regardless of where, where she winds up, there was they had no power and no influence over over uh, broadcasting in America. So the point being, please, if you get an email regarding FCC petition number twenty three ninety four, please believe me, it's a hoax. I've been dealing with debunking this now for mm-hmm. over twelve years, My and it just comes every. Last time it was touched by an angel, and it was CBS was going to remove one. touched yes. by an angel because of this petition. They eventually removed Touched by an Angel because eventually, uh, you know, programs run out of ratings, <laughs> you know, and that and happens. Uh, that happens, you know. So anyway, again, watch for that FCC petition number 2394. Do not forward it. If you'd like more information, give us a call or email us, and we'd be happy to, to give you some more information about that. Okay, let's check in with now Brad Dacus in the Pacific Justice Institute. A look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Our atheist friend, Michael Newdow, and several other atheists and atheist groups are pushing a lawsuit to prohibit prayer at presidential inaugurations. Well, Pacific Justice Institute is representing the two pastors who offered prayers at Mr. Obama's inaugural. Briefings are being filed at the Federal D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. PGI argues that the Constitution does not require our institutions be atheistic. The First Amendment cannot be divorced from common sense. The plaintiffs claimed physical illness from the inaugural prayer. Will pollsters say the religious are healthier and happier? Maybe Newdow should try a little religion, or at least a God bless you the next time he sneezes. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. All right, and we're back with you here at Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike Elaine. And I'll tell you what, I hope you can can sense the excitement as we begin this brand new season because tonight, uh, I, I don't know if you've known how long uh, I've been trying to, uh, to book <laughs> tonight's guest, but it's been a while, and we have him here finally with us. But uh, 
just so glad to have you uh, here with us. Pastor, chaplain, author, and dear, dear brother, Charlie Crane. Thank you for carving out time to be here with us tonight, Charlie. So glad to have you with us. Uh, it's my gratitude to you for having me. I didn't know uh, you were looking for me. I would have made myself more available. <laughs> well, I finally <laughs> found out how to contact you, and uh, we got your number, and I won't lose it uh, anytime soon, and just uh, appreciate you being with us. Now, you've been around Modesto for some time, and we uh, we finished uh, reading your book, and we're going to get into the book, but uh, let's go back and catch us up uh, just a little bit. Now, I know that you and Pastor or Mike here go back a little ways. and uh, I, I think, back. Charlie, that you were one of the first men I met, pastors that I met in Modesto. I think, you know, the, my second day on the job, they said, you have to go to this prayer meeting, you know, and, and mm. guys around the city are there, different pastors, and uh, it, it was uh, still where it is now at First Baptist Church there in the upper room. Right. And uh, I think uh, you were the, one of the first uh, men that I was introduced to. And, you know, God has, has given Modesto a lot of treasures. Mm. You know, you guys bet. like Charlie and, and Ross Bryles and, um, you know, Wade Estes. I mean, and, and Cliff Traub, you know, been here a yes. long, long time. God has just planted some incredibly wonderful men here, Elaine, and, uh, you know, to, to come here and get to rub shoulders with these guys, especially, you know, 15 years as a, as a, as a newbie, uh, pastor, just kind of green behind the ears. That was a great privilege to meet guys like Charlie and, and, uh, learned a lot from them over the years. Well, I tell you what, we are privileged and honored to have you here. And we mentioned that you are an author and we have enjoyed I have enjoyed just just uh, reading your book, Image of a Black Father. You want to tell us uh, when you wrote the book and, and what uh, uh, what prompted you to write the book, Charlie, and why uh, who it's kind of targeted to, and uh, kind of set it up for us, and then we're going to uh, we're going to talk about it tonight. Actually, this book started. Um well, if I tell you when I started writing it and then tell you when I finished, you would kind of <laughs> laugh at me. Never. <laughs> no. But uh, there was a, a teacher at Modesto High. Her name is Sharon Fober. She taught uh, there for 26 years in English teaching. And wh- while she was there, she discovered that they had 31 different languages spoken on that school ground. And there was the kind of little racial groups that kind of paired themselves off and spoke their own language and the whole bit. And she wanted them to respect one another. She came up with the idea of pulling people out of the community and letting them tell their story in the classroom, English classrooms, of how they had been discriminated against one way or another, you know. Some too fat, some too skinny, some too white, some too black, some too whatever, and um, But she wanted to get people who had gotten over it, didn't have an axe to grind. And I think Wade Estes gave her my name, and she called me, and I went in on that first day, and everyone was nervous and afraid. And I decided to tell the story of how I was born in Arkansas in, mm-hmm. in the mid-30s. I won't tell you my age, but... <laughs> <laughs> Young whippersnapper. <laughs> Long before integration, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so I told the story, and my father was actually my hero because mm-hmm. he, with only a third-grade education, he was a sharecropper there in Arkansas, but he was probably the wisest man that I ever met in my life. 
and he was always looking for a way to better his condition, not um, a rebellious way, but just a way to 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 get a better job, to move up. And he finally came to California in 1943 and earned a living in Oakland ship, Navy shipyards and was able to send for the rest of the family in 1945. And that was uh, the great change in my life, coming mm. to California from, mm. from Arkansas. Culture shock, but but really nice. So, so I kind of took this story from there and went on to tell my life story as I saw it through watching my father. You know, and, and so many, there are a whole lot of folks who can trace their forefathers to Arkansas. A lot of uh, second-generation Californians, you know, that are... Right. From our, a lot, a lot of folks came, especially during uh, the Depression and the the Dust Bowl, uh, you know, time and all mm-hmm. that. So we have a lot of folks that that migrated here, uh, Charlie. But I, I think you have a you have a special story to tell, and I think mm-hmm. what's important about that today is it's about dads and 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 the extreme influence and the importance that dads have in 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 our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a wonderful wonderful story here. And I appreciate the, the, the roots of it, and, and thank you to that high school teacher who had uh, had that idea. Talk to us a little bit, Charlie, about that culture shock. Uh, and, and, and you don't have to tell us how old you were, but maybe, you know, teens or whatever. And, and, uh, <laughs> and as you came, you came to Modesto from Arkansas, what are some of the things that you immediately faced that you hadn't had to face before? Well, actually, I uh, came to Berkeley from Arkansas, and I Berserkly. was there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can say that. Now My daughter gotta, lived there, okay? I got all the cards and letters from Berkeley. I'm sorry. Right? I okay. say that with affectionately. And, uh, okay. There you go. <laughs> and it was in 1945, just as the war was over, World War II was over, we came to Berkeley, and uh, we lived in the government housing there right off of uh, Gilmore in San Pablo. And I was nine years old at the time, mm. 1945, so you can do the math from that. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the biggest things I faced was uh, mixed races. We didn't, we didn't have any mixed races where I lived in Arkansas. Mm. We lived out in the rural area of Arkansas, uh, Dumas, Arkansas, and my father raised cotton as a sharecropper. And we didn't see any white people at all. Mm. Uh, we didn't look for any either, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was the times when we just didn't get along well, mm. you know. In Arkansas, they had, um, if you went into a department store to buy clothes, you couldn't try them on as a black person. You couldn't try them on because they didn't have room for uh, dressing room for colored people. If you went in a shoe store to buy shoes, you, you measured your foot with a string mm. to see what size shoe you wear. Uh, you went in the movie, you sat upstairs, you couldn't go in the lobby to buy popcorn or candy or peanuts, anything like that, you know. It was totally segregation. And when I came to California, it was a little different. We we had mixed races, and we went to school with, with other kids um, uh, that wasn't primarily black kids. Um, and it was uh, it was just different. I mean, I was dumb as dishwater, you know. I'd like to, I'd like to look at the lights come on and wonder where they come from because we had kerosene lamps and all of that stuff back then. Mm. My father lost his job in 1948 because they was laying off, closing down the shipyards and all of that. And um, 
the welfare program came out, you know, with the food subsidized, the K rations they had been sending overseas and all of that. They started giving them to the people who had migrated from the South and other places to go back, uh, feeding their wife and children and allowing them to go back and establish this South and then send for their, for their family. Well, my father wasn't going to do that. And he said he didn't want any handouts. He wouldn't allow us to get on welfare. So we moved to where they grow cotton at down Merced County. So I wind up um, being raised in Dos Palace uh, where they grow cotton. And from there I went into the military uh, because I uh, trying to get away from the cotton field, you know. So when I finished school, I went into the military and came back from the military after two years and, and, and um, followed my wife, Sherry, over there from, from Modesto, from Dos Palace to Modesto. She wanted to go to MJC here. Hmm. I came to Modesto in 1960. We were married in 1961. We raised four children here, and we've been married for a total of 48 years wow. now. Amen. Congratulations. And, Amen. Uh, <laughs> All right, Terry. <laughs> so Modesto has been a good place for me. Mm. I love this community. I love the people in this community, and it's just been a place where I could uh, really uh, make a living. Charlie, a very big family you came from. It's Twelve kids in my family. Twelve. And, Seven and boys and five girls. A lot of uh, pain in the book comes along with a lot of celebrations in the earlier year. You, you weren't absent of some painful times in the book. Real painful sure. times, yes. uh, like uh, losing loved ones. Yes. And um, the first death I really actually witnessed was uh, my... Uh, best friend, we, he, I was about 13, he was about 12, and we went swimming in the, uh, in the, um, Merced River, mm. uh, and, and he was drowned. And I watched him struggling for his life, trying to get out of the river and swift currents, and, and, uh, but he went down, and I was helpless to save him, and, and it's been, seemed like about every three years, it's been a big tragedy in our family, uh, real close friends or something ever since then. You know, so it, it have been a lot of tragedies. And I tell about my younger sister that grew up with me, Dot. Yes. And Dot and I grew up together doing things together. And so she close. was, yeah, she was my best friend and my sister too. But uh, Dot passed away with cancer in 2002, mm. so that was a big loss here recently that I didn't even get in the book, you know. So it's been a lot of tragedies, a lot of tragedies in my life. And now I work for community hospice at the hospice house where I see a lot of suffering. And I have come to realize that suffering uh, from God's point of view just kind of brings everything into focus it makes you realize what's important and what's not important. And when you're suffering at the end of life, you don't think about your education or how many books you've wrote or how many uh, much money you have in the bank or anything else. It's two things you want to know. That's uh, where you are going, mm. Do you, you, your eternal hope, yeah. and the welfare and well-being of your family, mm. the loved ones that you're leaving behind. And that's the two things that's really important at the end of life. So I think su suffering is one of the things that brings all of that into focus. You know, and I think too, Charlie, one of the one of the truths of of you know how how God 
journeys us through life is that he uses our suffering and, and, and the, the cruddy stuff that happens to us. He uses that later on so that we can minister to others. I mean, no accident that God has you as a chaplain at hospice at this point in your life because you have that empathy. You have the scars and you have the wounds mm-hmm. uh, so that you can truly understand those in pain. And, and God then uses you in a powerful way. I, you know, I think in many, many times as, as we deal with a lot of hurting people, you think, you know, how do they get through life without God? Right. How do you make sense of all that stuff without some kind of hope to hang on to? And I would imagine you run up against a lot of people who um, haven't uh, had God in their life and, and, and yet at, at that end where they're looking for some hope and looking for security for their family, man, what a wonderful opportunity you have then. Yes, and I see a lot of people that um, turn to the Lord yeah. in the last hour of their yeah, life. Great, amen. And it's one of the one of the big suffering things that I went through that I try to stay away from as much as I can, telling her on the air, you know, else, is that my wife and I had four kids, and they all lived to be grown, but we lost our oldest kid mm-hmm. and only son yes. when he was just 19. Mm-hmm. A drunk driver hit him head on. Yeah. That was in 1982, one year out of high school, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, there have been a lot of suffering, but I think that's probably the one that hurt the most. Yeah. But... um Thanks be to God, we, we're still here. And, A- amen to that. And we can still praise God through it all. And, and through that, you were uh, pastoring people. And, and uh, you know, it just takes, uh, it takes that God energy to be able to step up to the plate and, and uh, carry on uh, with that. I get, again, I don't know how people make it without the Lord in their lives. And, I don't either. Yeah. But we God think- said he uh, gives us comfort so that we can comfort others. You know? Amen. Thank God for your lives, you and Sherry. Well, our special guest this week is Charlie Crane, and we'll be back with lots more. We'd ask you uh, right now, uh, wherever you are, wherever you are, to join us as our hearts beat with Toby Mack and City on Our Knees on Lighthouse Live, and we'll be back. If you got to start somewhere, why not here? If you gotta start sometime, why not now? If we gotta start somewhere, I say here. If we gotta start sometime, I say now. Through the fog, there is hope in the distance. From cathedrals to third world missions. Love will fall to the earth like a crashing wave. Tonight. Start somewhere, why not here? If you gotta start sometime, why not now? 
Toby Mack, City on Our Knees, on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and our very special guest, Charlie Crane. You know, why not right here and right now? And uh, we're with Charlie Crane tonight. And, you know, Charlie, I'm thinking, where's the movie to this? <laughs> Image of a Black Father. Oh, I, 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 I'm serious. I, I'm thinking, where's the movie? And uh, we were talking about that a little bit before we went on air. Um, it's got to be a movie. <laughs> Oh, I would like that. Uh, you know, Charlie, at the uh, the end of your your book, The Image of a Black Father, um, you you have a section there talking about a Hebrew idiom uh, that uh, a man who instructs and takes a younger man under his wing, in essence, becomes his father, whether he's his biological father or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so much of that is missing in our culture today across the board. You know, many dads have kind of checked out, and, um, you know, many kids are, are left without that direction. And this whole book is about, you know, the imprint that your dad 
you know, had on you. You talked because you've been around Modesto for a long time and, and you've seen, uh, you know, a couple generations now. Let's talk about what you've seen in terms of the importance of dads being around and what happens to kids when, when the dads don't have that, that influence in their lives. I had a group home for boys that um, I started in 1986, and I was taking boys out of juvenile hall and trying to get them back on the main track in, in, in life. And I named it Uncle Charlie's Home because at the time I had, oh, I don't know how many nephews, and, and, and a lot of them was going astray because um, their dads had left. Um, they had lost their dads for one reason or another. And after that, I, I found out that about 99% of those boys that came through our group home during the 12 years that we had it was without a father. They was from a single-parent family. And when a kid had come out of a single-parent family, it seemed like he grew up with a inferiority complex, like he's weaker, he don't have any security in his life. He, mm. uh, a lot of the kids would come in with uh, just really foul language and flexing their muscles like... You know, I'm the baddest guy in town, and they actually saying, "I'm hurting. Please don't, mm. don't, don't fight with me. Mm. I, I can't protect myself." Mm. And they would, um, they would, they would do things that they thought a man should do, and they had no idea of what a man should act like or what a man should do. I've seen a lot of this. Um, seemed like the younger generation just, you know. I'm at the grandfather age now, and I'm taking care of grandkids who, <laughs> whose whose fathers are going astray for whatever reason, you know. Mm -hmm. And all through the group home, I was doing this, and it seemed like this generation is just so many single parent families, where the man if he either don't step up and take that responsibility, or he can't for some reason or another. Right, and. Um, these guys, the young men that grow up without a father, is is just kind of lost. Mm. They they have nobody that they can see God through. Yeah. I, I saw God yeah. through my father, yes, yeah. and the love that He gave for me, mm -hmm. the protection, the kind of hero type, and, and I saw God in Him. Mm. Now He was my biological father, but I have a spiritual father mm -hmm. that I also uh, saw God through. You know. And his name was uh, Bill Yeager. Yeah. He's, 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 <laughs> he's passed now, but uh, yeah. Yeah. he just, uh, he was the first white man to treat me with respect. Mm. I mean, the kind of respect that you could call a guy dead, you know, mm. that kind of respect. Yeah. Why he would just kind of do anything or say anything or uh, give you anything that he had. He loved you. Yes. yes. He's, he's the reason for me to get a... Uh, education through Simpson College and then through the Mennonite Biblical Seminary. He he paid for the whole mm -hmm. thing. He used to take me for fishing trips on his boat. I mean, he would just sit down and talk to me like I was like I was his own. Yeah, it's a strange thing, you know, when you are cut off from being with another race, uh, another race become your enemy for whatever reason. And when you become a Christian, God take you to face your enemy first thing. Mm -hmm. When I became a, a Christian, God just took me to a white church and said, okay, here it is, you know. 
and it hasn't been for Bill Yeager, I'd have ran away. But <laughs> <laughs> but he just threw his arms around me and said, okay, whatever you want to do, I'm going to help you do it, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know. And so I saw I saw God through this man. For those of you uh, listening outside of, of the uh, Stanislaus County area, outside of California, uh, around the world, Bill Yeager for... I don't know, how many years was he the senior pastor at First Baptist? I mean, like since the Ark? I don't know. It was a long time. <laughs> you know, you would be in trouble maybe. No, I'm, no, I'm sure. just kidding. But, you know, he, he really is an institution and really almost a legend here yes, in the Modesto yes. area. And uh, a long, long history there. And, you know, it's, the you know, pastoring, is as you know, Charlie, you've, you've got stuff coming from you you know, left and right, and you got boards to deal with, and you got buildings to deal with, and you got bills to deal with. But it, it's that that God connection that mm-hmm. God makes when someone comes into your life and he just says to you, you know what, you need to spend some time with this person. Yeah. And that's when you've got to, you can't miss that cue, can you? You can't miss that cue. Mm. And it just gets you over the hurdle that you need to get over. Yeah. And um, it, it just show you that. All people are people, yeah. regardless to race, color, or anything else. Amen. God I heard sure the other sees day. it that way, doesn't he? Yes. 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 I heard the other day that there's just two kind of believers, you know. The one who believes he has to save himself and the one who believes he needs a savior. Mm. Mm. And so I needed a savior. Yeah. I needed a savior. And, um, and Pastor Yeager just helped me really r- realize that. I had a Savior, and his name was Jesus Christ. Amen. You said something very incredible while we're on this subject, Charlie. On page 98, you said, Through Pastor Yeager, God made it known to me that his truth had set me free. Mm. Amen. You said, Free from depression caused by my anger toward oppression Mm. and ill treatment at the hands of evil men, free from the bitterness of slavery and civil injustice done to people in the past, that still causes racial prejudice and hatred to linger in the hearts of many today. I was free from those inward emotions that rob a man of the joy of being a man. When I finished the sermon, Pastor said, you did great, you'll make a good preacher. Mm-hmm. Pastor Yeager was a sharecropper like Jab, that's your dad. Yeah. He, he reared up and trained children to work the master's fields. The owner of the fields had supplied him with the tools to do the labor. At the end of the day, he too would share in the harvest. Like Jab, Pastor Yeager became my father in ministry rather than physically, and I knew my only obligation to pastor lay in the continuing debt of love. Yes. 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 That love is is still there. For all people, it's just, you know. Amen. When you learn to love people, I think it's the greatest freedom in the world. You know, Charlie, in, in the Modesto area here, we truly are a melting pot. I mean, you've got Cambodian cultures and Hmong cultures and Vietnamese cultures and African-American culture. You've got, uh, you know, Hispanic culture, a great percentage of our population. And you have subsets within those. And and we really are a whole bunch of cultures thrown together. We're we're a microcosm, you know, Mm -hmm. of of, of the world here in this area. I don't remember how many different languages are, are, are spoken 
uh, in the schools now. I, you know, I've at least 40 to 43, maybe more. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we truly uh, are, are a microcosm of, of the world. Mm-hmm. And in that, you know, God touches down in an incredible way, but there are still, there are still challenges. And one of those challenges that we have is as, as people are looking for affinity and they don't have guidance in their life, they don't have the heroes, you know, of dads to look to, uh, you know, the gangs become a, a major issue. And, mm-hmm. and you and I mm-hmm. have heard uh, the police chiefs over the years, we've heard the sheriff say time and time again, we've heard the, the leaders of the gang unit say time and time again, we could put a million cops on the street, and it's not going to solve the gang problem. No. What's going to solve it is heart change and, and the family. And right. that's where it's going to happen. What do you see that we need to do, Charlie? You've got your, for many years, your, your, your thumb on the pulse of this city. What do we need to do better as a Christian community to help this process along? I wish I could answer that. If I knew the answer, I would gladly <laughs> tell you. But it's one at a time. We just got to love them one at a time. And uh, when we love one, others are watching. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's that's the only thing I know to do. You know, you took in the book and talked about how your family, your brothers, were gangsters of sorts way back when, and I'm not going to say how many years ago, but I thought that was so interesting how you had your own little gang back in. in yeah, I was, I was a part of that gang. Yeah, that was, uh, was. You know, when we, we when we came to Berkeley, California in the 19, mid-40s, and there was little gangs there then, you know. Um, we learned to carry our little switchblades, which my dad was just really against. Mm. He he didn't allow us to carry any kind of weapon, uh, knife or gun. He said, if you carry one of those things, you know, someone is going to make you use it. And you'll either lose your life or take someone else's. Either way, you've lost. Mm. You know, there's no winners in that. And But we, we had our little gangs, and it seven boys in one family, who's going to tackle them, you know? <laughs> so we had the courage and the confidence in one another. We just we, and we just learned how to run and fight, and we learned how to steal, and we learned a lot of things that we shouldn't have been doing, you know? And it was kind of good that my dad lost his job in Berkeley, and we had to move to the country again <laughs> because had we stayed in the city, we would all probably be dead or in prison for life or something else, you know. We'll be interviewing you about yeah, a whole yeah, different thing. a whole different story, you know. <laughs> but moving back to the cotton field, I mean, we hated it, but I think it was a good thing for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It made us the kind of people that we we are now. Well, Charlie, you've you've had a lot of experience in in your own family as a as a sibling, and then as a father and a grandfather. Uh, what are some nuggets of wisdom that you can give um, younger dads today who uh, who are tracking with God and just uh, trying to do their best? What what nuggets of wisdom do you have for them in, in being a good dad here in the twenty first century? I, uh, I'm going to cheat a little on this one because I got this from Billy Graham. <clears throat> it's at Psalms 128. He say three things that makes a man happy. Number one is to fear God and walk in his ways. Number two is eat the fruit of your labors. Have a good job. Keep yourself busy. Work no matter what the pay is. 
the little you get, God will help you mm. enjoy it. Yeah. As long as you come by it honest. And the, and the third thing he said, your wife will be like a fruitful vine by your house. Mm. And your children will be like olive plants around your mm-hmm. table. So family is really a gift from God. And you stay with them and protect them and love them no matter what. Mm. And God will always provide for you to do that. And that alone will make you one of the happiest men in the world. It's not the money. It's not the, it's not anything else other than God and family. Mm. You know, Charlie, one of the, one, one of the weird things that I've encountered in, in pastoring over the years, and I do a lot of funerals now for people that aren't connected with churches. Mm-hmm. And I am astonished by the amount of people you, you talk to adult children and you ask them, tell me about your dad or tell me about your mom and what characteristics were important to you? You know, what, what, uh, what did they do that, that just impressed you? What are the legacies that they left you that you want to carry on? You know, what are those character traits that you appreciate? And I'm astonished at the amount of people who have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because they're in the middle of grief. I mean, I'm tracking with them over a period of days here, you know, and mm-hmm. they truly, well, mom played bingo or, well, you know, she enjoyed soap operas or, or dad, you know, I don't know. He, he liked the cowboys. Uh, but there, there's no, I, there's nothing that they can give me as far as, you know, these are the character traits of, of the man that, that helped me grow up. And mm. I don't know if you've run up against that, but I think that's just a tragedy when, you know, either there hasn't been an investment or there wasn't a close enough relationship right. to, to know what the character traits were that people appreciated. Right. We really had a close relationship when I was home with my uh, family, siblings, and dad, mom, you know. Mom never let us eat until Dad come home, no oh. matter what time that oh. was. Oh. And then when he came home, we may have a pot of beans and a little rice, but uh, around the table we were happy. Yeah. And we would yeah. sit around the table. Dad would ask the blessing. We'd sit around the table and, and talk. Mm. And uh, he would always have something positive to say, yeah. you know, no matter how hard he worked that day. And sometimes he, well, a lot of times he put in 16-hour days, you sure. know. Right. So from sun to sun in the summertime, that's a long day. and uh, But just being available to us, just knowing Dad was at home was one of the biggest things mm. for me. Mm. When I come from school, I, you know, I know Dad going to be home that night. I mean, that was my security blanket. Security, yes. That was, yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. And before radio and TV, well, not before radio, but before television. Go back that far. Not quite that old. <laughs> but actually, we had a little battery radio that we hardly ever played because we didn't want to run the battery down. Dad would listen to news on it, but that was, you know, when we was in Arkansas. Entertainment yeah. was so yeah. different. Then, but the entertainment was sitting around listening oh, to the older people talk. Yeah. And they yeah. would teach us a lot of things. And you enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. My grandpa was a storyteller, and he would he would sit around and tell us all sorts of mm. stories, and we just we just sat there, you know, right on edge of the chair the whole hanging time he's words, talking, yeah, yes. hanging on every word, you know. You know, I think there's value, Charlie, in exposing our children to other adults. You know, uh, so oftentimes the kids are 
kind of running around with their peers, which is good. I mean, you've got to do that. But I think there's there's wisdom in having your, your children around other adults, whether it's grandpas and grandmas or aunts and uncles, or maybe it's just close friends because, mm-hmm. they, you know, m- more is caught than taught, you know, and, and, and they start to listen to these stories and, uh, you know, they, they start to learn about life from other adults. And, right. and when they become adults, you know, there's some wisdom there that has been ingrained you know whether they knew the process was happening or not, and that is so important that we expose our children, you know, to 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 other adults that are important to us and and important to their lives as well. Yes, yes, good people in the community. Yeah, absolutely, there's a lot of good people. In you know, and and that's important too, Charlie. There are a lot of good people in this community. Yes. That uh, that people need to sit down as, as as children and listen to. Of course, and you know, and we go back in in uh, to uh, the the children of Israel and uh, in 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 their evolution over the years. Real important to God that the kids were around and listening to the stories of what God had done in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as uh, as you were growing up, did, t- tell us about how you saw God reflected through your dad i mean you just talked about that a little bit how, how, what are some of the ways that you saw god manifested in your dad well what made it easy for me is that my dad was always bigger than me you know <laughs> but yet he never used that bigness or that strength to be a, a, a an authoritative figure over me mm. but more of a loving and kind figure over me and would show me, even through my mistakes, he would correct me and he would, you know, show me the right way to do it. He would uh, kind of punish me when I do wrong. We, we Back in those days, we got spankings, you know. And I was the kind of little boy that deserved a lot of spankings. <laughs> no. No. No way. <laughs> I, didn't always, I didn't always take care of Grandma and that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I saw I saw God through the way my dad loved and cared for his family, mm-hmm. and um, then when I read about how God loved and cared for the people of the world, um, it, it it just helped me to realize that this is a a loving father, just like you know I had. He modeled and I could it, see, didn't he? Yes, 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 yes. I could see that character in my dad once I got to know God. You know, talking about your your wonderful ministry in hospice, and what a great organization. I mean, uh, a lot of us in this room have personally experienced the the blessing of hospice, and uh, what a wonderful what a wonderful service that is. Um, but I think it's 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 just very important that for for folks who maybe have had uh, divisions with their parents, mm-hmm. uh, issues, and and sometimes you know what, there's issues that just are big. Right. You know, but but other times it's just a matter of not having had contact for a long time, mm-hmm. and it is so important, don't you think? Uh, especially uh, nowadays with our rat race and the freeways and the drive-by shootings and oh, the accidents, man. that that we take the time and and do the reconciliation that we need to do, That's right. uh, especially with with siblings and, and parents. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot. I see that a lot. I see a lot of times when. Uh, the siblings are torn apart. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Because the parents didn't love them the same or didn't have the mm. the uh, equal input in their life. But also, um, 
when a person comes, like I say, to the end of his life, uh, he want to know that they're going to be okay. Now, that they're going to be protected, that they're going to come together. A lot of times if he feel like he haven't been forgiven or he have did something that he need to get, be forgiven for or need to forgive someone else, uh, he'll wrestle with those spiritual issues until until you can get them dissolved. He mm -hmm. don't even want to die that way. So, <laughs> so those are some of the kind of spiritual issues that they face at the end of life. You know. Well, friends, uh, you know we could we could talk with Charlie for I, hours I and hours, could. but uh, the, the <clears throat> Pastor Charlie Crane. Uh, Again, a, a treasure here in Modesto, written a book, a wonderful one, a book called Charlie. Image of a Black Father. We encourage you to get a copy. How can. best can people pick up a copy of that, Charlie? They can. Uh, Amazon.com. Right. Amazon.com probably is the best way. Um, you can order through Beersless Bookstore, of course, um, Barnes & Nobles, um, a Target, um, any of those. You can Publisher, by the way, if you're looking for it, I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Zulon Press? Zulon Press. Zulon Press. X-U-L-O-N-P-R-E-S-S. -S. Again, image of a black father, our guest, Pastor Charlie Crane. Oh, Charlie, thank you so much for being with us. Just uh, We pray for you and Sherry, to God, just to continue to pour out his blessings and to use your lives uh, to minister to others. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. And dear friends, thank you for joining us. Join us again next time here on Lighthouse Live. Thank you, and join us again next time. God bless you.